Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater. My name is Daniel Janine. I am a producer at Eater. Amanda, this week we are talking menus, we are talking delivery, but uh, oh, yeah. But to lead us off, um, this is something that we're both kind of obsessed with, the evolution of the menu um, and how potentially the pandemic has blasted us into the future of the restaurant menu through the cell phone. Um, and QR codes. So Which wh- is that yeah. black and white little square that you know and love from your life in various places that is now on every restaurant table when you sit down to eat. For those who don't know a QR code, the black and white little square, as you said, you take a picture or you point your camera towards it and, and it gives you a link to a unique URL. And uh, that could be anything that could be to sign up for. Uh, you know, some kind of sketchy pharmaceutical, <laughs> but that could also be the link to uh, restaurants online. Uh, as 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 you'll see with our guest Wilson Tang, uh, the photo spread of the food at his restaurant, or it could be the entire menu. Or in in certain places, as in in China, as he's as he's going to talk about, it could be uh, all of your options to both order and to pay. Uh, for not, I mean, not just in China. I've done it at, in Manhattan at Thai yeah. Diner. Yeah. And also I've done it at um, a place I love in Brooklyn called Lalu where you do your health screening via the QR code. So the mm-hmm. QR code brings you to the health screening that you fill out and then you get the menu uh, and you can go from there. It cuts down on interaction between the guest and the server. It cuts down yeah. on items that they might have to clean if they have laminated menus. Uh but there are a lot of other bonuses to QR codes that I had never thought of. Um, the chef Jonah Miller wrote a great piece for the counter about all of the upsides of QR codes, and he re- would really like them to stick around. Like for him, as someone who used to print a lot of menus, it impeded creativity in that he would think twice before adding something to the menu because you'd have to reprint all these menus. Uh, hmm. Also, if, if they ran out of something... He hated the idea of having to start a diner's experience by telling them what they didn't have, you know? So like, okay, we 86 the chicken. So you have to be like, hi, welcome to this night out. Just so you know, we don't have this thing that you might really want that's on the menu. With the QR code, you just like immediately strike it and the customer doesn't even know it was there to begin with. So, and then the the environment, like it's... Is this is this is not using up paper. It's something you know. I I think we talked about early, which is just the idea that your menu could be a digital thing and not a, a material thing. There's other potential flexibility. I mean, there could be you know your happy hour prices could just be built into the menu. So like you go yeah, during happy pricing. hour, flexible pricing. I mean, to the extent where 
you could be paying more for food during prime time than you would uh, earlier in the night. I think that's something I, I, I've been thinking about. Um, obviously, you know, like anything with upsides, not like anything with upsides, but um, like most innovation, there is exciting aspects of it. There are things uh, that I feel like people are going to miss about the, uh, the, the restaurant experience from the, the past, which is, you know, the paper menu and the folding menu and whatever is, is all part of this idea of, we, of what we think of as like the traditional, you know, um, American restaurant experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, even the idea of the server coming over and telling you the things that they are out of or the specials, I mean... Yeah, sure, I don't think that annoys some thing, people. But I think there is something to the. I'm not saying I long for those days, but I but I do feel like no. I think there's yeah. something to the ritual of right. getting the menu, opening the menu, not staring at your phone. Uh, I love a place that has a little trick where like the menu's under the napkin, or the men the menu reveals itself somehow, or there's some how else sort have you of... seen a menu reveal itself? There are a lot of like really, I guess it's only high, super high end restaurants where it's like underneath something and you're like, oh, there's the menu. Um, I mean, I got to say, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I haven't done my fair share of fine dining experiences. I don't I I have no idea what you're talking. I mean, I I know you've never seen a surprise menu, never seen a surprise menu pop out of anywhere. I know when they neatly fold it into the napkin. I've seen that. I like that. Yeah. Um, I have not seen a menu. There it is. You know, like I mean, it doesn't like pop up. I'm just saying sometimes it's on the table. You don't know it. And you they lift up a plate or a napkin and there it is. And they're like, put on your polarizing, your polarized glasses. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, it's a small price to pay for, I think, the upsides and the innovations. Yeah. Um, Here's my biggest downside real quick, though. When everything started back in March, I feel like almost we had the conversation that would be like, man, when we get to sit at a restaurant with friends, uh, we are never going to look at our phone again. You know, we are just going to be so immersed in the moment, in the conversation, in the jovial. You and I said that? Yeah, we had this conversation. Yeah. I've never thought that. Well, maybe it was with someone more (laughs) conscious of their social. But either way, I just think I hate the idea that you have a legitimate restaurant excuse to, to look, look at, at your, your phone. phone. Yeah, but I think... Yeah, the, because it's like, what are you doing? You're not listening to my story? Oh, I just want to see if they had any sweet potato fries. I don't fucking yeah, want that. Yeah, it's annoying. It's annoying, but I think it's it's part of it. What, what I think... What I don't love as much is the ordering from your phone because mm-hmm. you have to stop the conversation yourself to get another round of drinks. Like, mm. I've been to restaurants where the service staff doesn't check on you because of safety measures, and it's kind of nice to have someone else be like, oh, looks like your wine glass needs refilling. Can I get you something? It helps the them sell more. The natural button, yeah. Yeah, and like if, if I'm in charge, I'm just not going to do as good of a job. What would you be like? Hey, hey guys, hold, hold on for a sec. Should we, should we put this round in? Yeah, yeah, I had to do that. And, I, you know, I, we drank less and spent less. We oh, were no. just having such, such a good time. <laughs> such a good time. We couldn't, we couldn't be stopped so, to order so another round. So immersed. Yeah. But that actually actually is a thing for restaurants, right? Like if they're not prompting you as much, pro- their sales are probably, if it's all, mm-hmm. having said that, it probably balances out because I'm sure there are a lot of people who would order more drinks if they didn't have to constantly tell the server, yeah, That's another true. round. That's true. Sometimes you have to, I know that was you have to three flag minutes ago. people, you have to flag people right. down. 
Also, if you can pay, which at this place you can, you get out of there faster. So better turnover. So uh, on the show today, we have Wilson Tang, who is the owner of Namwa Tea Parlor, the legendary New York. Hundred year old New York restaurant. Restaurant, yeah. Uh, And Wilson has expanded the business. He now has some fast casual kind of spinoffs of of Namwa. Uh, what does he have? Four in New York. He has four in the U.S. on the East Coast, yeah. and then he has three in China. Yeah, so he's just someone who is interested in keeping alive old traditions, but also in ways to make his business more uh, technically efficient and uh, financially efficient, I guess. Especially in times when they're not, when their sales are not what they once were. So here's Wilson Tang. All right. So Wilson, welcome to the show. Thank you. I want to talk about digital menus and how their use has changed during this pandemic. When I go out to eat in New York, oftentimes I get a QR code to open the menu on my phone. Uh, And I'm wondering, how have you guys changed what you do at Nomwa Tea Parlor in Manhattan? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think think, um, at the tea parlor, We've always um, had like the sheet of paper to make your order. So I I think we were like already partially into like QR codes already, but just not in the digital form, but in like a, uh, Mm -hmm. in like a paper form. Um, So, you know, the, the changeover for us actually wasn't that difficult. We find that, you know, from my experience having restaurants in Asia, that was how they have been doing it for years. So, I think it's just something that uh, we as Americans or New Yorkers have to just get used to. So could you actually just talk us through the experience in China? Like, how has it been there for the last, you know, X amount of years? Man, um, you know, it's so funny. And like, I I hate like talking down on on us being Americans. But, you know, it is so far advanced uh, than we are here. Like it, it, it runs laps yeah. around us. So basically when you get to the, the restaurant we have in China, in Shenzhen, uh, when, after you're seated, there's a QR code at every table. And um, the QR code, basically you, you scan it with your cell phone and you already can, act, you can actually make the order at the, at the table already without, without having to speak to anyone. Uh, so for better or for worse, um, I, I think for fast casual, for quick service, that actually is very beneficial. Uh, uh, I want to say like 100% of the fast casuals uh, in uh, Shenzhen just use some form of a, some form of a QR code uh, to conduct business. Basically because, um, you know, similar to the U.S., the cost of labor is, is increasing. Uh, if they can get the job done with the, the least amount of uh, people, uh, that is, that is to, uh, to our mm-hmm. advantage. But in, in, in our restaurants there, you basically, once you're, sit there, you're sat, um, you, the first thing you do is you take your phone and you scan the QR code and you start ordering off, off your cell phone. And once you put in your order, uh, it automatically goes into the kitchen. So there's, no, there's nothing you really have to do unless you, wanna, unless you have questions, mm-hmm. you would flag down a, uh, a wait staff. The, the also interesting part is that when you're done, you basically swipe again, and then you can pay uh, pay on your phone uh, through either WeChat or Weibo, um, uh, Weibo Pay or WeChat Pay, and you can just literally uh, get up 
and walk away from from yeah. from the table. And do you see? Would you ever do that in the states? Um, I, I I wouldn't say no. I I think I think I would do I would do it if it was more prominent. It's just not um, something that is normal here in the U.S. yet. But I, I, I am a firm believer of kind of uh, how, how do you make a restaurant successful, especially in New York, where everything is so expensive. The margins you're working with are, are super tiny. So that was that is definitely one way I would kind of combat like labor issues or just um, logistics or uh, fine tuning and being more streamlined. What kind of innovations are you looking at in terms of the future of of using the cell phone in conjunction with the menu, right? Like all of the technical advantages that the cell phone allows you. Well, I think we're, 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 we're kind of on our way there already. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, our, our platform is already connected to technology. So like you can go to our website and place an order, uh, through our, um, like, you, you know, we use a point of sale system called toast here and you can pull up, um, our, our, uh, website mm-hmm. where you can order for pickup already. So that, that's already, uh, something that we're doing at, at our fast casual location. But, you know, I, I think if we can get to a point where we can, um, follow the lead of our stores in Asia by, you know, just having QR code ordering where the, where the tickets, where the, where the, mm-hmm. the, the stuff that you want to eat, like the, the tickets just go into the kitchen that, that yeah. would, that would save a lot of time and energy. So, I mean, like we're we're a little behind, I feel, but like I mean, if we can just get to that point, um, I think I think we'll be in a good place. Has there been any resistance from the customer base? Uh, not from what I've seen. Um, basically, I I think it's it's all comes down to um, getting used to it. So I I think you know even when I'm out dining, I'm like, oh shoot, there's no okay. I gotta I gotta pull out my phone and I gotta scan and then I, I gotta like like widen the. The, right. the, the screen so I can read the descriptions because like, you know, the, 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 the phone is just so small. But uh, other than that, I, I think it's pretty seamless. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I was reading an article the other day about uh, someone's mom who's 70 years old is already ordering takeout food through DoorDash. Uh, you know, it, it, it's technology is something that is just very natural. Um, any, everyone sh- is starting using my dad has a cell phone that's that's uh, Wi-Fi capable and, and all that stuff. So I think it's just time that people uh, get used to this new format. And uh, it actually is, is better, better for the environment. You're printing less, you're using less ink. Um, you know, everything that you need to change is just done electronically. And um and I, I think it just increases the efficiency of the yeah, restaurant. Yeah, but even in that, like you said, you know, your dad has a cell phone and that's surprising. Like, I'm sure we all know people who we wouldn't assume would be able to scan a QR code and then be fluent enough with uh, their phone to be able to use it, whatever, you know, with whatever you're presenting them. And not only that, but like I've been places where the system is so shitty that like they send you a Google Drive Dropbox link and then like just some things that I actually personally found challenging. And, uh, so I'm yeah. sure you have tables like your, your clientele is not, is not all young hipsters, right? Like you have old school people. Well, I, I mean, you know, I, I think, I think we're all still trying to figure it out right now. Yeah. And, you know, this is just the beginning. Um, I'm sure there's going to be tech companies out there that come up with new ideas and innovation that will, will make the, the user experience better or improve it. Um, but in the meantime, I, you know, the, the thought process is everyone's in this 
in this uh, situation right now. We have to make yeah. the best out with what we have. And uh, for, for those that are not, you know, uh, uh, smartphone uh, hmm. smart, um, you know, at the end of the day, we we have the menus here. We can, you know, walk you through it if you're if you're willing. So if you're willing to dine inside with us, you, menu. you know, we're willing to <laughs> like walk you through the menu. Yeah. So, you know, I think it, it, it needs to be like a collaborative effort. You know, like, you know, the latest conversation was about how we still have those like hard, hard nosed New Yorkers that, that, you know, are coming in and are just like, demanding everything. But, you know, the, the, the climate of dining is, is going to change and like whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. So if you are not capable of moving forward with, with technology, yeah. you know, I, I really don't ha- know what to tell you, you know, other, other than the fact that I, I'm sorry, but hey, you know, let's, let's all work together on, on making the user experience better, easier. But the user also needs to, to, to grow up or they need to like accept that this yeah. is the new reality. And if, they, if they're hard-nosed, like, you know, they're kind of SOL and, and they're, the, the places where they can't eat are going to diminish or there's going to be less places that they can Do you eat think at. that there is a shift in the power structure between the restaurant and the diner right now? I mean, I feel like that's kind of what you're getting at. Like, do you feel do you feel like you have more power to dictate what the experience is and to say no to some of those hard-nosed people? Absolutely. Or at least have to coddle people less. Yeah, we, I mean, like, we basically have a no tolerance policy now. And, and like, I've been really firm with that with my staff. Like, even in our fast casual location, we're not letting anyone inside. Um, you know, because we don't know what this thing is going gonna, is gonna to be like. I, you know, last thing I need, I need on my conscience is someone gets sick uh, that works for me. And I, I don't know how I'm going to get through that if that happens. So, like, we have to be very safe. We have to look at the numbers. And like, listen, if you don't want to sit inside and you're like, you're, you're, you're obnoxious or like, you're not cooperative, then you know what? There's plenty of other restaurants out there and you, you can, you can go to one of those instead. And, and that's been my, my uh, answer to my staff staff. And it's no longer like, Oh, the, the customer is always right. The customer is sometimes right. But like, you know, in, in this day and age, and especially through, yeah. through these kind of times, like sometimes no means no. In terms of, you know, Pricing things what they should be priced, like raising food costs, like telling, I don't know. I mean, just thinking more as a business instead of being constantly obsessed with hospitality. Like when you talk to your friends in the business, do you do you feel like there is more, in a sense, more confidence going forward now that you've kind of had to seize back a little bit the the, the control? Well, I, I totally think so. Um, I also think um, you know, because like there's yeah. a lot of restaurants that are closing. So like restaurant tours have a, are, have a slight upper hand because now like, like labor pool is, um, should the labor pool for New Yorkers that actually stayed, um, there, there's more people around and we're not so much dictated by, um, like labor, labor concerns because like the pool of people working, mm-hmm. uh, has, has increased because naturally restaurants have been yeah. closing. And what's what's the scene like at your restaurants in China right now? What is it like operating there? Oh, it's 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 back to like ninety percent. Um, it's business as it's business wow. as usual. Um, you know, I I just had a friend that went there um, uh, last last night for us, but this morning for him, and he said it was great. The experience was great. All the food came out quick. 
Um, and um, it, it's almost back to normal. And like, there's, there's, there's not a lot of, you know, people are wearing masks, mm-hmm. but like, it, it's definitely not a heightened uh, situation. Like, like, like still here yeah. in New York. Love it. Thank you so much, Wilson. Best of luck out there. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Take care. Okay, Amanda, that was, uh, that was Wilson Tang. Be sure to check out his cookbook, the Namwa cookbook, which just came out uh, this week, actually. And uh, yeah, check out Namwa Tea Parlor in New York. I guess now hearing him now uh, with all your thoughts that you've had about uh, the self phonification of the menu, uh, what what do you think the future is of this? Like, do you see a world in which you go for one of your classic three Michelin star 10 hour meals and uh, you are given a QR code by Alinea or wherever you're dining? I mean, maybe if they're going to do something like super, super special with it. I bet most fine dining establishments will maintain the paper menu after all of this. I think a lot of places will end up keeping the QR code menus, though. There's there's just a lot of flexibility and savings there. Yeah. And at least have it as an option, right? Because even if you're printing menus, you have that digital menu. So even as an option on the table, I like that Wilson was saying that he has he has backup menus. He has the menus for people who need it. Like I remember I was mentioning this to the team the other day and someone was like, yeah, but what about people without cell phones? It's like, OK, sure. For those people, they can ask for a real menu or my phone died last night when I was out and I had to use my friend's phone to see the menu. But I could see that being a scenario where I'm like, okay, can you just give me a different menu? I think uh, cell phone charging at the table will become more and more acceptable Mm. and supported by the restaurant, which is obviously something that we that we would all uh, appreciate and and love. I think this is entirely inevitable. And I do I find that I think it's inevitable that we'll be paying on our cell phones soon. I mean, I think we'll start seeing that more and more. As you said, you you start actually you've done it uh, in New York. So all of these things are just going to be incorporated into the phone. And uh, but I, I do think that that offer it's it's exciting because it offers restaurants willing to embrace it, uh, which will be most of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Exciting potential for innovation, uh, financial sales, um, just a way to incorporate more of what they want to show you that day into the phone. But also I think it offers uh, restaurants that want to maintain some kind of traditional aspect to them. Um, Like how much more exciting will it be to see a handwritten menu? Right. Yeah. Especially if it's a, a real beautiful creation. Yeah. And some design went into it. Yeah. So Daniel, I think we should ask our listeners if you have thoughts on this, I would love to hear it. I'm really curious about how people have been feeling about using QR codes, how they think it might change over the next two years. Yeah. Digest at eater.com. On June 14th, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your team, Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello. I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14th. Get tickets now. All right, Amanda. You know, we're back. Uh, let's get into some news. There's a restaurant, a Michelin-starred restaurant in Hungary that has made use of a giant uh, Ferris wheel uh, to serve their dinner uh, on a few nights uh, as like a COVID stunt 
but it's the restaurant is called Costes, I guess. And what they're doing is you ride this Ferris wheel and when you hit the ground, you get a new course. How fucking awesome is that? So like <laughs> <laughs> you go around bread course. Woo. The problem is like one of the fun aspects of the tasting menu, I will say, is like you never know when you're going to get your new thing. And sometimes you're like, I, I want the new thing. And you're like, well, we got another three quarters of the fucking ride to go before. I would say the fun part of the Ferris wheel is also when you're not stopping at every car. Yeah. So like people load on and load off and then you get to like go around and around and around for a while. The worst part is when you're like around the wheel. Yeah. So that's like the whole every time you get a new course, you're just going to like slowly, slowly. I mean, maybe they figured it out. Okay, so you're not into it, but maybe they figured it out where I would still do it. Don't get me wrong. I would still do it once. I, I, I like a fun gambit. It's a good, it's um, a I good think gimmick. Maybe they could work in, maybe what they do is they give you your course, then you get a full go around and then they, you know, give you your next yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, sure. So once everyone's been coursed out, they spin you around you a couple times. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know how many courses this dinner is. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. Also, like, are people going to spill food, spill their glasses. You're like right below other people. Yeah. Maybe it's though. I don't know. Maybe it's one of those. Oh no, no. It's one of those enclosed ones, kind of like the London eye. So you're not getting spilled on. This sounds, this sounds fun. I would do it. I've, I've sold you on this thing. I mean, not you, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm open-minded enough to try that. it once. <laughs> you knew, personally sold me. I knew me. you were going to take away any credit. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for finding this and showing it to me though. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of unique ways to dine, uh, what's uh, there was a story that came out today about New York finding some uh, ah, interesting ways yes. to I loved this survive story. the winter. What are what are these ways? So, the Center for an Urban Future polled a lot of industry industry experts, restaurateurs, and designers, and urban planners to come up with a lot of suggestions and ideas for how New York City restaurants can get through this hard winter that is coming up. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think any of the ideas are completely groundbreaking, but I do like that people are continuing to try to iterate on what's out there. So one architect was suggesting that the city can put up more scaffolding so you have more permanent huh. cover. Okay. Uh, you know, like we've walked there. There's some restaurants in Manhattan where I'll walk by. And I'm like, oh, they're actually pretty lucky to have the scaffolding over them because they have built-in rain cover or snow cover. Um, there were some people suggesting that they continue to shut down the streets that have been closed during the summer and built more, build more permanent tent-like things. The problem is with a lot of these structures that people are building, is a lot of them end up crossing over into being almost like indoor structures. We talked about this last and time. Then, yeah. yeah, we talked about this last time. And then you have to deal with the 25% capacity rules. So it's like, what's the oh, point? Oh, that's an interesting thing. I thought just... So you you can have it, but then you are subject to the rules that indoor dining operations are dealing with. There's a suggestion to encourage landlords to offer up their empty storefronts to pop-up businesses because as you've seen across the country, there are a lot of new entrepreneurs coming onto the scene with Instagram businesses or pop-ups uh, and they're trying to incentivize landlords to 
offer up something to these people. So, okay, like take it for three months at this discounted rate. Then the landlord gets somebody in the space. The tenant gets a slightly discounted rate and they're able to like do something brick and mortar. Uh, and there was an encouragement. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if the space is, is licensed as a restaurant. Yes. Yeah. Then that's huge. Cause then they have a commercial kitchen. Right. Uh, and there was a suggestion to do more, uh, street fairs and markets and yeah. give stalls to food vendors, which, you know, I guess that's an obvious one. Uh, and more opportunities to pair up restaurants with shelters because a lot of the food pantries and shelters have contracts. They have food providers. Like why not go to restaurants who could use the business? Can I complain about something? And that is that I always click on these lists and I'm really hoping to see like basically umbrella innovation, like cool science. Like I basically want Elon Musk to design outdoor indoor heaters. And that's what yeah. I expect to see from these lists. And it's always like, more street fairs. And it's like, all right, list. Well, you know what? You want to hear an idea I'm pitching? Uh, I want to put on an expo mm. in the spring where we get like the most innovative architects and designers to show off like their cool stuff that they've been tinkering with all winter because this is not just going away. Uh, That's an Not just awesome that the pandemic idea. isn't going away, but like outdoor dining is here to stay. So many of these cities are extending the permits for these outdoor dining restaurants until the end of 2021. So this is just going to be part of our culture now. You know what's also in yeah. home entertaining. I, a lot of people are yeah. moving to places with backyards and they didn't have time to invest in them. But for next summer, they're going to want to really spend some time and money on that. I think that's so smart. I mean, I would I I would run to that expo. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. I don't sure. know how to make it COVID safe yet, but we'll get there. Well, that's the first step of the experts there. You bring them together and be like, we want to do this thing. We have no idea how to do it. Go. I just think like we just know we know some fundamental things about keeping out or about why the outdoors is safe that I don't feel like is is I mean, there just isn't the money and there isn't the kind of collective body to push any of these aspects kind of pseudo inside or to innovate like we should be looking at ways to control the airflow. And like if if we could have, you know, gi like giant fans that aren't loud that and and like vacuum systems that are like pulling air. I mean, I don't know. There's just so many ways in which I feel like you mean inside, inside, outside. Yeah. I mean, uh, like low levels of radiation for like exterior heat to uh i mean not you know radiation radiation but <laughs> uv radiation radi yeah radiation 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 i just think like <laughs> this is a unique time when we're trying to make freezing cold outside areas inhabitable and there's there hasn't really been a reason to do that in the past mm -hmm. and it's exciting to think about like the smart people that could be innovating in this space uh, architecturally. And uh, yeah. I am I am excited about that. And I also think it's fucking awesome. Like, you know, 20 years from now when we'll, we'll, we'll be like, COVID-19, what was that? Uh, and hopefully by that time, we're sitting outside in the middle of the winter in T-shirts um, because... Because of global warming. Because of global warming, exactly. <laughs> but I, the outside is just, you know what? Ask anyone. Outside, better than inside. Uh, Great. Love it. Uh, tell me, what's going on with Travis Kalanick? Uh, this is an interesting story. I mean, I just think like uh, how, you know, we talk about ghost kitchens here every week. 
Um, and just, it's something that I've been thinking about with the downfall of WeWork going into the pandemic, um, combined with this huge surge in interest in uh, commercial cooking space. I mean, you talked about it. Restaurants, Instagram-y restaurants, whatever, need spaces to cook out of and to deliver food from. But, I mean, the ghost kitchen idea just seems so inevitable. As we've talked about in past episodes, the ability for a restaurant with a huge name brand from one side of town to be able to operate a ghost kitchen on the other side to deliver around them is is amazing and, and could potentially such a huge source of income. It's such an amazing way to start a new restaurant without needing a brick and mortar and without needing any kind of uh, public facing space because so much of your name is established on the internet now and not so much with your, uh, you know, with your front of house. You compare it to WeWork because it's a way for an, a small business to get flexible space the way people used WeWork or use WeWork. Yeah, exactly. And, and, but I, I think what I, f- the, there isn't really a specific reason to bring this up now. The Wall Street Journal reported that he now, Travis Kalanick's uh, company called Cloud Kitchens, um, now has over $130 million worth of real estate that they have purchased as, um, as you know, as Cloud Kitchens. So what these places, I mean, for instance, there's a $9 million vacant restaurant space in Miami, right? And so like, I don't, it sounds huge. I don't know how big it is. But in this vacant restaurant space, Cloud Kitchens could have, you know, whatever it is, like 100 restaurants. But I just think the I, his ability to buy space and then lease it out to restaurants is kind of pandemic proof, right? Like, and I just well, he think own, he owns the real estate, right? In the way that WeWork is so screwed, Cloud Kitchens is so not screwed. Because WeWork was leasing most of their space. And WeWork's business model requires is like bringing people together. And Cloud Kitchens, in a way, is like keeping people apart. Keeping people apart, yeah. So it's kind of, it's essentially the same thing. It's businesses operating in a space uh, that is maximized for them, operated by someone else in kind of short to medium term leases. But the cloud kitchen model, especially when you're pumping money into it and you have these spaces that you own. There's one here called Zool that's kind of doing it on the on the East Coast. And I just think the sky, the sky is the limit uh, for cloud kitchens. I just, whether you have a fancy restaurant now or you're thinking about starting something. But will the demand continue? I mean, the, the, like, is yeah. the sky the limit for everyone? Again, these aren't necessarily good things, but delivery, the optimization of the delivery apps is going to make delivery cheaper and cheaper as we go into the future. Uh, People are you already hear so many people talking about how it's cheaper to deliver to order delivery than it is to cook because it's like, you know, nine. They can get McDonald's for like eight dollar delivery. Delivery was growing before the pandemic. People are learning about how easy it is to deliver, get delivery now. People are experimenting with fancy delivery and, you know, delivery is coming from farther away. I, yeah, I, I don't think this is going anywhere. I mean, certainly I guess food my, delivery yeah, has I, had I, its best moment now, maybe than it will for the next 10 years. But like, I don't know. I, I think uh, I, th- I think you're right. I think there's there's one flag for me in that this would require a kind of insatiable need 
for more delivery options from people. Like I think what, you know, we've been since the recession of 2008, 2009, the restaurant world has grown and grown and grown and in a kind of a bubble in that there are too many restaurants mm-hmm. for the business and restaurateurs make less and less money off of it. And I could see this boom in ghost operations growing and growing maybe, but then do we really need all these, do we need more ghost kitchens? Do we need more concepts? Do we need the concepts that exist to have many, many, many locations? Like, I I don't know. I think you're right. I I, I think uh, the only thing that I'm willing to say for certain is I feel like delivery is growing as a category and has consistently since, I mean, forever. Um, And obviously exponentially now with the the launch of the delivery apps. And what I would be willing to say is you... Restaurants are consistently, as a category, being disincentivized from having brick and mortar space, right? So, mm-hmm. like, as it becomes less important and less cost effective to actually have a physical space, there is going to be more demand uh, for a, a restaurant concepts that, or or for these restaurants to move into a, a much cheaper rent where they are much more where they're maximized for their delivery business. Yeah. And I think that makes sense. So maybe maybe the net uh, the total amount of restaurants could stay the same but we'll see restaurants drift into the world of of delivery. I think it's entirely possible that based on pandemic stuff like you know, cloud kitchens might buy a billion dollars worth of real estate and fill it up right now. And then as the world, you know, potentially returns more and more and more to normal, they'll have 50 percent occupancy and then have to sell back some well, real that's, estate. Yeah, that's why I'm questioning about the big bet. And if we want to say that Kalnick is bulletproof here. Oh, I'm not. I'm some, not sorry. Some... I wasn't I wasn't implying he was. No, bulletproof. no, I know. I know. I was I'm saying talking, it's talking interesting it relating it to the failures of WeWork. I. I think another thing we're going to start to see is work like restaurant shared space. Yeah. Which is a micro version of ghost kitchens where more and more restaurants will be more efficient with their real estate. So I'm a restaurant. I'm open Thursday through Sunday. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. my buddy uses it Monday through Wednesday to do whatever they're doing and deliver out of there. And they have a different concept with a different name. Right. All right, Amanda. I thought we could do something that we haven't done before, uh, which maybe we'll have some fun with. And uh, Whole Foods, you know, the luxury grocer, just released. Once, once luxury grocer. Oh. Now it's owned by Amazon, so it's almost like a discount grocer for some things. That's a good point. I don't think being purchased by Amazon turn them de 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 No, I just mean as a them. shopper, it's like so cheap there now. The experience feels so automated now and there's so much like prime day inclusion that you it doesn't feel I mean, whatever uh kind of like organic aspect there was to Whole Foods uh has has certainly been been it, sucked yeah, out. Yeah, it was once the virtuous place to shop um but like overpriced <laughs> and now it's the cheap but ethically questionable place to shop isn't that funny yeah funny how one switch like that can change everything yeah either way um they have a they have a team they call their uh trend forecast team i will are they making some forecasts yeah so i thought we would go through predictions they've got 10 
predictions. I mean, they're not like kind of they're not quantified predictions at all. They're just like, hey, this is where we see things going uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of buyer uh, consumer trends for next year. And I wanted to read them through with you quickly, see if you had any thoughts on them. They really got to jump on this. Usually all these stories come out in like November. Yeah. What do you think of these stories in general? Because I feel like in the inbox, there's always, you know, X and X analytics firm predicts the biggest companies in the honey category for like 2024. Usually we like to compile them all into one big list of all the things that are going to be hot next year. Yeah. And it's like a hundred different things. So I think there's some aspects of this that I that I find funny. So the the, the committee is their head of culinary, uh, local brands, global coordinator, their vice president of grocery, blah, 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 blah. doesn't matter. But it's not like analytics people. I mean, they are certainly analytics people, but it's not, uh-huh. you know, white coat scientists predicting these things. Sure, it's, sure, sure. These are more, I guess, anecdotal. Okay. Are they like beans? <laughs> Beans will continue to be hot. Yeah. Category one, uh, well-being is served. Ugh, I don't even like this category at all. I kind of want to skip it. But it's basically like kraut, uh, you know, fermented stuff, superfoods, mm. uh-huh. vitamin C, boring. Oh, uh, two, epic breakfast every day. More people working from home. The most important meal is getting the attention it deserves, not just on weekends, but every day. You know what? That is interesting. I mean, I feel like breakfast breakfast foods have spiked like crazy. Um, based have you been eating better breakfast now? No, or different. No, breakfasts? and for the law, lo- I mean, breakfast is not the most important meal of the day. No meal is individually. Do you still just eat a can of sardines for breakfast? No, I I, I usually eat nothing. <laughs> you know, and I'm fucking killing it. Okay, so clearly <laughs> breakfast is not the most important. I, I mean, I disagree with you on that, but that I'm killing fine. it or that breakfast is the most important meal. Of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, you know, everyone's a little different. I, I need a breakfast to, to get me through. I just hate platitudes like that. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. It's just some marketing thing that's just been adopted from 100 years ago when we take it as, you know, we take it as 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 scripture and what's it what, what does it mean dinner is the most important like whatever meal if you're hungry i don't know it's the most lunch could be the thing okay the real direction i think the world should go in is the one meal <laughs> a day the one meal a day like that is the most practical uh we have this three meals a day idea built on past marketing it's it, it you know it's there's nothing i feel like a lot of human society- about three meals a day a lot of society used to revolve around the giant lunch anyway. So we're going back to our roots. We're not. I right? mean, I don't think lunch is lunch is certainly not on the up. I was just saying. Lunch. No, if we do, isn't that what you're saying? We need to go back to we need to get to a place of one meal a day. But it doesn't have to be lunch. It could be whenever whatever is best should, for you. I think it should be lunch. It should be lunch. All right. Well, you try. We'll see if you, start. you don't go to you don't go to bed full. Have a big meal at the middle of the day. Have a light dinner. Have a light breakfast. I mean, I That's agree with you. I think eat. if you eat just between like the hours of 11 and three, if you want to be a maniac like that, I think that's probably the healthiest way to live. Try doing that in New York though, when people are like, hey, there's an opening at whatever, we're going to drink kombucha, spiked kombucha, you know? Well, here's what I'm going to say to that, Daniel. Now that we are so dependent on outdoor dining, I think the hot time or the busy time to eat out right now is like six o'clock Yeah. because of the light. And I think that's shifting people into having earlier dinners, which I also think is a good thing. Oh, I sleep yeah. so much better now going to bed 
not having just eaten a giant, you know, like restaurant meal at 8 p.m. Oh, God. Okay, what what, what else? Are we going to go through all these things? Uh, I don't how think bored are you with that this useful. game? Yeah, well. I just feel like that's, I just, I just clicked over to the article and it's a lot. So I like, I like what we've got so far, but well, we've, there's a lot to cover here. The more interesting ones are to, are to come. But oh boy. All right. Let's buckle up <laughs> <laughs> and just go through each so one. How about you skip this how game? About you skip to your favorite. I well, my favorite of the final five. So far, this game. Skip ahead. How about baby food all grown up? Tell me about that one. I'm sorry. I'm gonna keep going, but I will admit to you that this thing <laughs> is far less fun than I thought it would be going in. But uh baby food all grown up. I don't personally, it's fine, whatever. Like, I guess, like, what? Babies are eating fancy squashes and shit now. Good good for them. I will say that's kind of an interesting thing, right? Like, I feel, you know, as the palates of older people expand, they're going to be more incentivized and interested in in having their, their babies eat, like, eggplant and stuff. So they're not like, oh, I don't like eggplant when they're six and they're, you know, whatever. They're just uh, trying to, like, cater to these these yuppie parents. So that their their organic baby food has pear strawberry rhubarb in it instead of just like pear. Yeah. And it's like, what's the fucking difference? You're just this is like, especially with these sugar ones, like the sweet ones. It's like apple butternut squash instead of just squash. Yeah. Oh, with turmeric. <laughs> right. Cool. Dave Dave Chang designed flavor profiles Hosen. for like young kids. Yeah. Um, okay. Upcycled foods. Basically like they've now figured out that people will buy like banana rinds and stuff if you dehydrate it and sell it, which you know what? I'm frankly good. I'm game with that. I like that kind of stuff. I feel like the nastier the part of the fruit is normally the better it is for you. So, you know, I'll eat that, uh, oil change. Uh, basically that we're moving away from olive oil. I mean, this is true. Like, I feel like a lot people have a, a wider variety of oils in their kitchen. Now people are, mm-hmm. people talk, mm-hmm. I mean, you hear casual people talking about like, oh, I use this for a higher smoke point. Yeah. We've moved, you know, we're thinking about that kind of thing. I'm really just like, you know what? You're really just going to, you're really pushing through. I'm, f- <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. Booze, bo- booze in unexpected places sparked kombucha, spiked kombucha, spiked no it's all i think it's all about kombucha it's all about hard boozed kombucha. up booch okay so not on a, just kombucha i'm skipping the mighty chickpea don't care fruit and veggie jerky i feel like i already talked about that one with the banana peels and stuff like that i will say that uh this is not a good podcast story because it's just about how something tasted but i ate coconut jerky the other day that was hands down the least appetizing thing I've ever eaten <laughs> in my life. And it wasn't even close. It was like dried, dried, <laughs> fermented plastic. And the guy like wasn't going even close it, because you could not only could you not chew it like texturally and flavor wise. It was awful. Just awful. Uh, OK. Wow. Uh, and that's the close of that one. But you know what we tried? Cool. We tried a new segment. Can't, can't wait to talk about more trends as more of these reports are you come excited out for next, next year yeah, every time every time i'm gonna bring every time i get a press release and we're gonna bring it on to the show there is something really nice about working through a list <laughs> you know as top to bottom, as evidence by thorough. what we just did okay all right daniel it was a pleasure thank you so much as always for making this podcast with me ah, thank, thank you. you to wilson tang please check out his cookbook Uh, It is now available, and we'll be back next week 